be seated. Please join me in now taking your copy of God's Word and turning with me this morning to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, the first book in the New Testament, the first gospel of the four gospels. We will look at all of chapter 1 this morning. And of course, we pointed out, you see around you, today begins to be... Today begins the Advent season, and for our Advent sermon series this year, we're going to look at a Christmas story from the four different angles of the Gospels. As you probably have already noticed, and it's something we have mentioned along the way as well, only two of the Gospels explicitly deal with the Christmas story, and that's Matthew and Luke. However, we find that there are elements of the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God. We find elements of those and all four of the Gospels. And so what we're going to do is each Sunday we're going to take a Gospel and we're going to examine some of the different angles of this story, this Christmas story that we know and love so well. And as you look at your Bibles at Matthew chapter 1, it probably titles each Gospel, the Gospel according to Matthew. So to go along with that, the title for our sermon series is Christmas according to Matthew and Mark. Luke and John. So this morning we begin with the gospel according to Matthew, Christmas according to Matthew chapter 1. So pray with me as we come together in this time. Lord, we come to your word, and we come to your word because it's yours. You've given it to us. You've chosen men over thousands of years to write it down and for it to be preserved, even to this day of 2022. We have your word. It's a perfect word. It's without error in what it teaches. And it's a word that we are to feast upon. It's a, it's a word for our soul. As we pray this morning, you will meet with us now as we come before your word. May we hear your truth from Matthew 1. And may it be a truth that changes us. Changes us. Become more like Jesus. And how we live, how we think, how we speak how we believe. So bless us in this time, we pray now, in Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 1, and we will read through all of the chapter. Let's stand together now for the reading of God's word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadad, and Amminadad, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of his deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatol, and Sheatol the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, Abiah the father of Elakim, 
Elikim, father Azor, Azor to father Zadok, Zadok to father Achim, Achim to father Eloit, Eloit to father Eleazar, Eleazar to father Mathan, and Mathan to father Jacob, and Jacob to father Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. We may be seated. I think one uh, one of the symptoms of getting older is that things seem to change more quickly as you get older than when you were younger. And so the older I get, the more I am amazed at how quickly things can change and things have changed. And some are, are, are light-hearted things, but they're kind of more serious issues. Uh, issues such as the, the issue of identity. Growing up, the issue of identity wasn't an issue at all. You were who you were. Identity was a, was a sort of settled fact for us. But it's become a very hot topic issue in our day and time and culture because the very nature of identity is being changed right in front of our eyes. It was once something that was thought to be absolute. Your identity was set by by who you were born to, who who your people were, what gender you were born as, what, what race and what nationality your parents were. That was once settled. It was once absolute. But not so much anymore. It's become more unsettled and more subjective. Now arguments are being made that you can choose what you want to be your identity. It doesn't matter who you were born to. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your race. You can choose your identity. You can change your identity. And you can do it as much and as often as you'd like. Again, there's the standard, kind of standard markers of, of race and gender, nationality, no longer matters. What matters is what you want your identity to be. So you can choose, you can choose it based on what you want at that given time. Now, without going too far down, the, 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 I think of this philosophical rabbit hole, but I think it's interesting, if identity becomes more subjective, then what becomes of identity? Because the very nature of that word loses a lot of its meaning when we then begin to decide what identity is. When we move from the absolute to the subjective, 
then it no longer is about identity. It becomes something else. It's something more fluid. It's something undefinable. And ultimately, and speaking about this in a sense philosophically, ultimately it becomes meaningless. Because when you take meaning away from something, it becomes meaningless. And so this interesting part of conversation of identity has to include, is identity meaningful anymore, or is it meaningless? Now what, why talk about all this? Well, because it's something worth thinking about. It, it affects us, it affects us in the day and time we live in. But also because a large part of Christmas story is about identity. Because think about what it is we are celebrating at Christmas. Think about what, how, how it defines identity for us. Who, Christmas answering, the Christmas story answers for us the question of who was born that first Christmas morning. It identifies for us who was born that first Christmas morning. And therefore, how does that birth affect my identity? So the Christmas story is a story in large part about identity. Who was born? Not who do we say was born, but who does God tell us was born that first Christmas morning? And then how, how does that identity change our identity? And so when we think about it from that perspective, we find that the nature of, of Christmas in, in a large sense hinges on this question, doesn't it? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because some... John Smith, John Doe was born this day some 2,000 years ago? No, we celebrate Christmas because of the identity of the one who was born that day, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We celebrate Christmas precisely because who was born that day, and we celebrate Christmas because the one who was born that day changes now our identity. The book of Revelation and other passages are very clear about that. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our identity is now changed because we are now imputed into Christ. We now have union with Christ. And so it's, no, it's no longer James McManus. It's now James McManus the Christian. So the Christmas story, in, in a particular angle, is a story, of, of, is a story about identity. And that's exactly how Matthew approaches the Christmas story. How he, this is how we see that he introduces his Holy Spirit-inspired angle of the Christmas story. Because one of the things we have to understand with the gospel according to Matthew is that this is a very Jewish gospel. So much so that there's some speculation that was originally written in Aramaic instead of Greek. The rest of the Old Testament is written in Greek. But speculation is written in Aramaic because Aramaic was the language of the Jews at that time. Matthew, who was an Israelite, Matthew, who was a Jew, wrote this gospel specifically to the Jews at that time to do one thing, to settle the identity of the Messiah, to settle the identity that this Messiah is Jesus Christ. So from beginning to end, the gospel of Matthew is, in a sense, a, a, a argument a teaching that the identity of the Messiah is settled, it is Jesus Christ. And so to do this, Matthew does a very Jewish thing. He begins his gospel, he begins the Christmas story with the genealogy of Jesus. He says right there in verse 1, 
the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now why do this? Well, because Jews at that time, Israelites at that time, identity was very important to them. That's why when we go through the Old Testament, we see genealogies throughout the Old Testament. Identity, genealogy is important to them. They would have been to ask, they would have been the first to ask a stranger, hey, who's your kin? If, they, if you met him on the street, you just so say, okay, oh, great. Who's your kin? Who's your people? Because identity to them, who you are, who you come from, where you come from, was very important to them. Matthew, a Jew, an Israelite, understands that. He understands how his people think. He understands how they operate. So what's he do? He opens the gospel. He introduces the Christmas story with the genealogy of Jesus. And he does this to identify or to establish the identity of Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, what he's, what he's saying to the, to the Israelites, the Jews at the time, he's saying, hey, y'all, listen, this Jesus, he's the true Messiah. And the first clue I'm going to give you, the first argument, the first bit of evidence is we're going to look at something we all love and cherish, and that is a family tree. He's telling the Israelites, you know your family tree. You can go back generations and generations, so I'm going to take you to Jesus' family tree so we can deduce from that the identity of Messiah, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of the genealogy here. For those of us who, who, who are old enough, I don't know if they still do this in school. We haven't got to this with our children. Um, but I remember growing up, and, and when you learned how to write a paper, write an essay, you had to, you had to answer, was the five W's, right? Who, what, when, why, where, and, and sometimes how. Right? And that's, that was a good paper. If you answer all that, it was a good paper, it was a good essay. Matthew immediately jumps into the who. Who is Jesus? Who is this one I'm getting ready to tell you about? Who is this one here to make the argument for? Because the story he's getting ready to tell will only make sense if you know the who. See, Matthew is like the people he's writing to. He was raised with the Old Testament. He, he, he was raised looking through, preparing for, looking for signs for the, for the coming of the Messiah. He was raised that way, trained that way, just like everybody else around him. Now, Matthew's been chosen to tell the story of the, of the arrival of the Messiah. Now he understands it will only make sense when the who is established. So he is establishing the who here. He's establishing the identity of Messiah. And what's interesting to me is he doesn't, he doesn't dip his toe into the pool, right? He doesn't, he doesn't kind of get there and see if, 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 the, if the temperature of the water is fine. He does a cannonball into the deep end because he opens up the floodgates. Because how's this, how's this gospel, how's this gospel begin? Look again at me at, at, at verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And there we have four identifying markers of Jesus Christ. The very first thing he does is he gives them four identifying markers. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of David. Jesus is the Son of Abraham. And he does this as each of these names reveals a part of Jesus' identity. They help us understand the who, 
who was born that first Christmas morning. They help us understand the identity of Christmas. And the very first name he uses to establish identity is one we are all familiar with, and that's the name Jesus. The name Jesus finds its root in the, in the Hebrew name of Joshua. When you transliterate it to Greek, it becomes Jesus. So that name means the Lord Yahweh saves. The Lord is salvation. So in the adult science school class, we, we did a study on the book of Joshua. And we may remember that Joshua was the one chosen to succeed Moses to do what? To lead God's people into the promised land. With Joshua, the Lord brings his people salvation. Brings them salvation physically and materially by bringing them to the promised land and ending their 40 years of wandering and grumbling. It's a story of salvation. And now Matthew says to his people, y'all remember Joshua. We remember the story. Now let me tell you about the one who Joshua is pointing to. Who Joshua was being used to prepare the way for. Because this Jesus is coming to bring us salvation. He's coming to save his people again. But it's a different salvation. Because it's a salvation from sin. Jesus has come to address the problem that lies at the root of all of our spiritual problems. That is our sinfulness and our sins. So much so is that a part of his identity that it's in his name. His name is the one who saves. His name is the one who brings salvation. His very name is and means salvation. So we're having an identity set. This is the one who is salvation. But Matthew says, not just the name, look at his genealogy. As we read through it, probably some names that stuck out to you. Wonderful names such as David and Abraham and Isaac. Hezekiah and Josiah, the, the, these wonderful people of the Lord who had a great faith. They had great failings, but they had a great faith and God used them mightily in their faith, mightily uh, for, for him and for the kingdom. And so, of course, it would make sense. And we're looking through the genealogy. It would make sense that, yeah, of course, we're going to see Abraham in there. If we're, if we're talking about genealogy of Jesus, the Son of God, of course it'd be, it'd be Abraham and it'd be Isaac and it'd be David. It'd be all those wonderful people. But then as we read on, we find there are some real rascals in this family tree as well. As great as those men were the Lord, there were some great sinners in there as well. Such as Ahaz, who turned his back on God so he could worship the pagan gods of Assyria and part of, part of that worship was to practice human sacrifice. So Ahaz sacrificed his own son. Now we can read that and move on, but I want us to sit there. I want us to sit there at the moment. And I want you to think about the depth of depravity, the depth of evil it takes for you to look at your child or your grandchild and say, I will kill you. I will gladly sacrifice you in the name of this false religion. Ahaz knew better. He had forefathers who taught him better. He thought he knew better. Better enough to put his son on the sacrificial table. That's evil, y'all. 
Then we look at Manasseh, who is described as having done more evil than in all the nations that the Lord drove out of Canaan. Right? That, that's kind of how they summarize how bad Manasseh was. Like, we're not even going to list it out. All, all we're going to tell you is, this dude was so bad, he was worse than all the enemies that God drove out of Canaan. These aren't the wacky, crazy uncles that we like to talk about. These are evil people. And it's not who we would expect to see in the family tree of Jesus, or at least we wouldn't talk about them. But here they are. And why would Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, why would he choose to include these black sheep, these skeletons in the closets, in Jesus' family tree? Was to show that Jesus had truly come to save sinners. Why are they in here? Because Jesus comes from a truly human line, a line that needs a savior. It's a reminder to us that Jesus is in one of the wonderful truths in incarnation. He's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. He has a family tree, and that family tree are, are warts and all, just like, just like the rest of us. But the good news is this Jesus was coming to save people even those in his own family line. That Savior, that Messiah who leads to salvation, Matthew says, is this Jesus Christ. It's in his name, and it's in his family tree. And can you imagine the joy that brought to the people that time as they gathered for worship on a Sunday morning? And, 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 the, and the preacher stands up and says, I'm going to read the gospel according to Matthew. And the Israelites hear it, and, they, and there's like great joy. Because the Messiah was one of them. He's from their line. He has a genealogy. But he had come to save them too. Because we have that same joy this morning. That Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He's a 100% man, 100% God, who came to save sinners such as us. This Jesus who came to save these 14 generations here, and this 14 generations here, and 14 generations here, and generations on, has come to save us as well. So he is the Jesus, and Matthew says is also the Christ. This is originally a title for the Messiah, and it means the anointed one. To be anointed means to be set apart, and you've been empowered by God for a task that he gives. So we read through the Old Testament, we find that there are three groups who were usually anointed. First were the priests. The priests were, were always anointed. But the prophets were sometimes anointed, and the kings were anointed as well. And so Matthew identifies him as a Christ by saying that all of that, that identity of being anointed is now set on Jesus. All those groups of people, because when the, when the Israelites would have heard he's a Christ, they would have heard the Messiah, they would have heard the anointed one, they would have heard, oh, that's what we did with all of our, with all of our priests, and that's what we did with some of our prophets, that's what we did with some of our kings. Those are the three groups who, who are eligible for, for, for anointing, and they said, this is Jesus. The ones you, we learned about in our Sunday school lessons, and we drew pictures, and we colored them, and we, we heard all about This is the Jesus. That he is the anointed king. I mean, that Jesus has been sent to defeat our greatest enemies of sin and death. He, he is the anointed priest who, who came to offer himself as a sacrifice to remove the guilt of sin. Not to, not to offer up a lamb, but to offer up himself, because he is the perfect lamb. 
He is the anointed prophet who has come to tell his people the truth, the greatest truth, that he is the one who's come to defeat sin for us because not only are we unable, but we're often unwilling to defeat sin on our own. And, and so Matthew's saying, this is what the Son was anointed to do by the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not only is he the Savior, he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one. And everyone who's been anointed by God has been given a mission. Jesus' mission has been very simple. To be the king of his people. So he could wage battle on our behalf to lead us into victory. A mission to be our prophet. To share with us the gospel. To call us to repentance and salvation in him. A mission to be the great high priest of his people by offering himself up as the perfect salvation for his people. Again, for the people of that day and age, we thought, this is wonderful news. And it's still wonderful news. Because Jesus is still our prophet, priest, and king who came on a mission to be your perfect prophet, priest, and king. So the one born to say, is Jesus the Christ, who is also the son of David. You've been around church any amount of time, you know the story of David, little shepherd boy who took five stones and with one killed the great Philistine giant of Goliath. And he goes on to be really the greatest human king Israel has ever known, right? He's one of those great biblical heroes. Matthew says here that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, descends from the royal line of David. So which means that Jesus is the offspring of the kingly line. He's the heir of all of, God, of uh, all of Israel's godly kings. He is the king of kings. But in that identification, there are two things we need to understand. First, as we've, we said, Jesus is the long-promised heir of David. Right? This isn't a coup. This isn't... You know, God kind of stepping in and taking over the coup. This isn't a fake king. No, no, no Matthew is pointing to the family tree. He's saying, no, look, this Jesus, I'm going to prove to you he's the son of David. And here's how we're going to go. Abraham, Isaac, and so on and so forth. Now what he's doing to me, he's saying, that, look, for years and decades, for generations, we have been waiting for this heir of David. We've been Waiting, we've been watching, we've had expectation, we have been trying to discern the signs. Is, is this the one who's, who's the true heir of David? Is this one the true son of David? Now it's all settled. It's, just, it's, it's all settled. Time has come. The one we have been longing for has now come. We can almost imagine uh, Matthew in the 21st century context, let's still put him in his, in his robe and sandals, in front of a, in front of a large stadium. And sitting out in the stadium, it's, it's every Jew at that time. And, and behind Matthew is this gigantic PowerPoint. He's got one of those little fancy laser pointers. And he's going through the genealogy of Jesus. And he's saying, look, this is the son of David. I, hear, I have irrefutable proof. Here is the one we have been looking for. Quit watching. Quit waiting. Quit expecting. Start believing. Your king has come. But the other reason for his identification of Jesus as the son of David is to show that he is the king who heals. We've talked about before in other studies that Israelites at that time 
We're expecting a king who would heal the land through political ways. Who would take the, the, the nation of Israel, would liberate it and make it into a, a, a prominent nation that other nations would tremble at. So one of the reasons why they rejected Jesus. Because he didn't come with a sword, he came with a cross. And so Matthew, after saying his identity, is going to explain further in his gospel that they got something there they were expecting. They got a king who would heal them. Not heal the land. Not heal a political dynasty. But who would heal his people. What would it matter if you had your own nation if it was filled with spiritually sick and leprous people? What would it matter if you had your own nation and everyone in it was going to hell? Matthew says a king has now come for them who, who left his throne in heaven to live with them. And this king would heal lepers. He would raise up dead men. He would feed thousands. He would give sight to the blind. He would gather the children in his lap. He would heal the sick. But even greater than that, he is the king who will heal our sinfulness. He is the king who will be the great physician of the soul by being the true lamb sacrificed for his people. Matthew's saying, look, you want this king? I got you something even better. Here's a king who heals in all the ways that matters. He does more than restore nation. He heals his people and he restores them. He is the son of David. And the promise here of this is a promise to hold true for us to this day. Jesus still promises to be our king, to heal us, to to restore us, and to redeem us. If we would just come to him for that very reason. That's a lot in the introduction, isn't it? Savior, Messiah, King. But Matthew doesn't let his foot off the pedal. Here we find he actually begins to compress it all the way down to the floor when he identifies Jesus as the son of Abraham. Have you ever received some good news that you couldn't wait to share with others? That you were... You were giddy thinking about it, giddy thinking about sharing it with loved ones. Maybe you proposed to somebody or, 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 or you, were, you were pregnant or you, you got this job. There was something very exciting that you couldn't wait to tell others about. I, I imagine Matthew was like that when he sat down to write out this gospel, especially when he got to this part. I imagine when he was writing this part here, his, his handwriting maybe kind of jittery and messy because, because what he's saying here is kind of exclamation point to it all. Not only is this the Savior, not only is he the Messiah, not only is he the King, but y'all, he's the son of Abraham. If you know anything about Old Testament Jewish culture, Israelite culture, you know Abraham was revered. There's a reason why we sing Father Abraham, because that's how the Israelites thought of Abraham. He was, in a sense, their godfather. He's the one that God made a covenant with. He's the one that God would use to bring the nation of Israel into existence. He's the one who so they so identify with that, that, that their identity comes from Abraham. And, and, and so Matthew is saying to him, look, the one we look up to, the one we revere, is Jesus, 
He's the son of Abraham. He is the son, not a son. He is the son of Abraham. He is the one who comes from Abraham, genealogically speaking, but he's also the one who Abraham had been pointing to. This is where it's important we remember the history of Abraham. Abraham wasn't born an Israelite, was he? He was born a pagan, a Gentile. But God called him to be the father of the covenant people. God made a covenant with him to bring him into covenant with him, to bring his covenant people in, to establish his people Israel. And so the one they revered, that the Godfather of the nation is the one that God made his promise to, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. They had no idea how great of a nation God had promised. Because God, ever since the beginning, had a plan to include all people in salvation. And this began with one who had been outside the covenants, who he made a covenant with, a covenant to bring salvation to all people. And how would God do this? Through Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus is the one who brings salvation to, to all people, Jews and Gentiles. Now the family tree of Jesus would branch out spiritually, so it would include people of every tribe, nation, and tongue, people like us. And Matthew gives a hint of this in the genealogy itself by including four women, which in of itself would have been unusual. But three of these women have something in common. None of them were Israelites. Rahab was a Canaanite and a prostitute. We talked about on Wednesday evenings. Ruth was a, was a Moabite who had to marry into the family. Bathsheba, we believe, was possibly a Hittite. So here we have these, these, these suspect Gentiles in, in the family tree. Why? Because Jesus is the son of Abraham who has come to bring salvation to all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. He is to promise salvation to all people, to all who would just receive and rest in him alone for salvation as he's been offered in the good news. And there's joy in that good news. There's joy in knowing his identity of Jesus. We know him as Savior, as Messiah, as King, as salvation. Then that's Faith changes our identity. When we know the true identity of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, it changes our identity. It changes the very fabric of who we are. That's why Peter says you are now a royal priesthood. That's us, y'all, here in Winsboro. We are now a royal priesthood. We are the adopted sons and daughters of God who, who the Father loves as much as he loves his own son. We're the disciples of Jesus Christ who he teaches and brings along. We are homes to the Holy Spirit who is our comforter, who is our teacher, who guides and directs us. We are now God's people. And that joy comes in part from this genealogy. If you're anything like me, when you go through the Old Testament and you get to, to get to genealogy, it gets boring. There's not a lot of joy in it. But there's joy in it for us this morning. And so I want us to close by hearing the joy that's expressed in this genealogy. It's a joy for all of God's people. It's a song. Um, uh, it's a song from one of my favorite Christmas albums, Andrew Peterson's uh, Behold the Lamb of God. So let me play that for us. Let me bring it up. I love technology. We'll see if it works. Um, but listen to the joy 
of how this genealogy is saying. He's going to sing the genealogy that we find here in the book of Matthew.